Hello bookworms and welcome back to Bookmarks and Booze. Trigger warnings for this week include mentions of child abuse. If this week isn't for you, we look forward to welcoming you back next time. That bitch Eve has cursed my womb yet again. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I get pretty bad curses from Eve each month as well. Um, So I feel your pain. I hope the apple was worth it. I hope the apple was worth it, bitch. You greedy bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I I watched some stupid thing. I can't even remember where it was like the interpretation was that actually it wasn't an apple. It was dick. And then that was what wrought havoc on the world even. That's Um, much better, isn't it? It it makes more sense than a fucking apple. Men do be bringing problems. Are you guys drinking? Oh, I am. I have got a bottle of Malbec because I ain't no basic bitch. Saturday um, night and we're home and we're alone. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's not better because last weekend all we did was stay at home and hang out with each other. <laughs> That's different. That's allowed. It's okay if you're at home, if you're entertaining, darling. Well, technically, you were entertaining. <laughs> I was entertaining no. by trying to do the worm for a good hour and a half. That was entertaining. I can attest that that did entertain. about how you tried to do the worm. <laughs> I tried to do the worm by getting really, really drunk. These two came up to visit me and I got really, really drunk. And I just got it in my head that it was really important that I learned how to do the worm. It was really, really important. And what that consisted of was me slamming my body into the laminate. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. There were YouTube video tutorials and everything. <laughs> I've got bruising and swelling in places that I didn't know well. <laughs> I call this I one the shocking. trout. Yeah, you did. You looked like a like a lost trout flopping <laughs> on the floor. Thank you. <laughs> and all of that was far more exciting than the book that we're about to review. So yeah. look at a love story than this. <laughs> Free. <laughs> Hello bookworms, welcome to Bookmarks and Booze, where we believe if you're going to slag off a book, do it accurately. Join us each week as three close friends make our way through controversial books and their most brutal reviews. Please note, gentle listener, that we'll be giving you our totally honest opinions with drinks in hand, and this podcast will contain swearing and spoilers. So today we are reviewing E.L. James' latest addition to the controversial and lucrative world of Fifty Shades of Grey titled Freed. The original book began humbly as fan fiction of the popular teen vampire romance Twilight, but despite being widely panned critically for its torturously bad writing style and asinine plot, Fifty Shades of Grey has top bestseller lists around the world, selling more than 150 million copies worldwide since 2017. The book we're reviewing today is the third in her newest series, which has followed the original Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy and retells the same story, but from the perspective of everyone's favourite hot rich narcissist, Christian Grey, covering the same twisted and extreme BDSM scenarios such as heavy kissing, staring into each other's eyes and handcuffs one time. So the plot <laughs> so the plot so far. <laughs> Let me quickly cover the plot so far. So Anna is a very innocent, seemingly plain university student who by chance interviews the notoriously private billionaire business magnate Christian Grey, who is also supermodel attractive but has a dark past. 
Christian is cold and domineering, but instantly attracted to Anna and attempts to woo slash stalk her, but with a catch. <laughs> he confesses to her that he can only achieve sexual gratification through dominant submissive relationships, where a woman agrees to be submissive in all aspects of her life, as well as partake in acts of bondage, domination and sadism. The book follows the ups and downs of Anna and Christian's turbulent relationship, where we discover Christian's past, where he was abused by both his mother's pimp and, after being adopted by his current parents, a local femme fatale Eleanor at the age of 15, who introduced him to the world of BDSM. We also see how Anna is unable to come to terms with Christian's extreme sexual needs despite their off-the-scale sexual chemistry. At the start of Freed, Anna is recovering from being threatened at gunpoint by Christian's crazy ex-submissive. Christian's pedo ex Eleanor has been outed at his birthday party and ostracised by the Grey family. And Anna's pervy ex-boss Jack Hyde is hiding in the bushes outside, having just admitted to sabotaging the helicopter Chris has just crashed in, nearly killing him. I tried to make it as succinct as possible, but it's like a fucking EastEnders plot. <laughs> and Jack Hyde is hiding in the bushes, jacking it. I am really glad that you did a plot synopsis because one of the notes I have written down here is this book doesn't really tell you anything that's going on. So no. one of my main issues with it was, okay, let's call it what it is. Obviously, this is a money-making thing, right? She was like, how can I make more money out of this series? I know, I'll write the same series from Christian's point of view, which I guess is fine. But I guess the idea was to maybe make us empathize with Christian a bit more because we see things from his point of view. But it just makes him seem even more manipulative and controlling than the original book did. And because you're taking a story that you've already formatted to be from Anastasia's point of view, it means that this book misses all of the most interesting bits from the first book. So prime example, if I pick this book up and didn't know anything about it, I don't know anything about Jack Hyde. I think he says no. one line of dialogue in the entire book, which is something like the bit shot me. And aside from that, I don't know whether that's more you get some of that in the previous two books from Christian's point of view. But in this book where the climax of the whole thing is this kind of showdown with Jack where Anna shoots him. I don't know anything about the guy. I thought that as well. Going into listening to it, because I listened to it, the audio version, and I think all of us, after Emma suggested you'd been listening to it on like 1.6 speed, <laughs> just to try and make it a little bit more exciting, I ended up listening to it on like 2.2. <laughs> I had it on 2.2 by the end as well. <laughs> Same. Literally as fast as I could get it without not understanding what they were saying. <laughs> literally. <laughs> Did anyone else do the same thing as me? We were like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm at the prologue. The prologue can't be that long. Why is the prologue still going? My God, why is this pro? When will this prologue end? <laughs> it's like, okay, that's got to be the last sentence. I woke up next to Anna. And it's like, no! <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's just like, and he, I, I mentioned this to Emma when we saw each other last weekend because we just couldn't not discuss it. But he's like a, a horny teenage boy, but is supposed to be this like big scary dog. <laughs> yeah, it ruins any of the tiny trickle of magic you had in the first series that would make you think oh wow Christian Grey he's so brooding and so mystical and all the mystique is gone and I think it's a bit like I mean we love Tiffany Rice and one of the things I love about her main sexy guy who's in it who's also a dom is that she doesn't she describes him physically but she does the old adage of not describing him in detail so that you can any person who reads it can put their own sexiest person onto that person 
Whereas this, it takes away all the mystique because he is literally like, as you say, a horny teenager. He's not a dom at all. He's no, not he's a dom not. at all. He's literally like, oh God, I hope she likes this. Or, oh, yeah. got to see some cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> you are so right. Yeah. You put that way more succinctly than I did, but I've basically got that same thing written down that I was trying to figure out what the purpose of the book was other than making money. And like I said, I was like, well, it's got to be to make us like, like Christian more, right? And to empathize with him more. And you just don't get that. I mean, there's passages in this book where he congratulates himself on the smallest things. There's the bit where she is in the hospital after she has been attacked. And he, his little monologue in a monologue says, I moderate my tone of voice for her. She deserves that. And it's like, oh, thank you so much for moderating your tone of voice after this woman's, her head's been cracked open and she's yeah. in a concussion. And then after she wakes up from the hospital, he is serial killer levels of controlling. He yeah, won't let yeah. her piss. And he, he won't let her piss. And then the first thing he he says to the nurse as they're leaving, how soon till I can bone her? It's, I'm like, she's <laughs> like a crumpled heap. She shot someone. <laughs> She, she got her head cracked open. She was in a coma, Christian. And, and literally he's at home and he's like, I know what I want to do, but she's had an emotional day. It's not an emotional day if you get a concussion. He is, he is up there with Piers Morgan on the level of congratulating himself over the smallest thing. Oh my God. He is up there. The whole sort of, like you say, I found that if you're looking for the magic in the first series, it's that he's this deep, dark, mysterious, brooding type guy, right? Okay, you know, you can't call him a dom because he's not. We've established that. But there's some mystery there. That was what the magic was. And then hearing his little whiny thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> it made it so, like, nothing that we thought that was sexy that you were doing, if we did think that it was sexy, we now know it's not. Yeah. You're so right. And yeah. if his inner thoughts had have at least been charming or funny or like made you understand him a little bit more, but they're the antitheses of that. that yeah, it's so shallow. Like it's he's supposed to be this like deep brooding person that's wildly intelligent that's up with these companies. And he's literally just like, she's wearing a mini dress and I, I want to make sure she's wearing a trench coat on top. Like, oh, yeah. fuck off. Like you're running when, six companies. Oh, do you not have stockings? And he's like, sweet Jesus. <laughs> 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 And can we also just quickly talk about the faux business speak that oh, she uses to try and make oh, out that he's a businessman? She uses liaise with a million times. Like, that it makes him a businessman so to be like, I'm going to liaise with this person, liaise with that person. And I also like, find the business bits, like, I appreciate that she has to put it in because this is from Christian's point of view and we can't have that without all the bidness that Christian does, but it's boring. I don't care. If you actually have worked in any kind of corporate environment, you know that that's not how any of it works. His entire day is just going and doing training with Bastille and eating turkey sandwiches. Like he doesn't <laughs> do any, but he has like, he's like, God, I've got so many emails. There's like one email from Anna where they're basically just doing like preteen sex talk over email and then the rest of it is him just swanning around getting coffee and then being like cancel my meetings i need to go and fuck my wife <laughs> <laughs> literally and also can we please talk about 
how I don't know about you two, but I know Emma and I have both been in therapy and done therapy. The therapist, oh. <laughs> the therapist, actually being like, "This is what you're doing wrong with your life." Like, no therapist on earth has ever done that. Like, has she not at least been asked to go out and talk to someone that is a therapist with all the millions of pounds that she's earned from this franchise? Like, I just don't get it. Like at the end, Christian's describing the whole ordeal he's had with Anna, and he's like, "Oh." No PTSD then. And I'm like, why are you asking Christian Grey if his wife has PTSD? Because I know Anna. You, I know yeah, Anna. I know her soul. think to answer that? And also, what a callous thing to ask. Like, surely that's the crux of being a therapist is you're not supposed to do therapy through other people, like give opinions on other people's significant others. And the whole thing is just like, well, you should treat Anna like this. And it's like, that's not what therapists would say. They have to be diplomatic and be like, oh, well, I couldn't possibly speak for Anna because she's not my client. Also, the audiobook guy, that was the only part of it that I found sexy when he did the British accent for the therapist. I was like, Yeah, okay, I would really like to talk about Mr. Zachary Weber. Who Can was we talk? The, the narrator of the piece. <laughs> he fucking knocks it out of the park. He that man is that a, was a one big man show. <laughs> it was a big job. <laughs> my absolute favorite, my favorite thing about him. There's so many bits in the book where they go, ah, or groan. And some of them he would go, ah, and some of them he would do a genuine, he has to do the lady sex noises. And he's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and especially <laughs> when you're listening to it at 2.2 speed. Yeah. He's just like, not I honestly, I started off and I was like, oh God, he's doing voices. Oh Lord, here we go. And by the end, I was like... Anna's voice. The voice he does for Anna. <laughs> the voice he does for Anna that's so like... Christian. Up- yeah, and it's so uppity. It was just so good. Like, I did think that. I was his like, female, mate. His female voice just has a lisp. Yeah. Yeah, it does. He just gives, he just gives his female a slight lisp. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice I'm it. I'm not but... being sarcastic. He really is very talented. No, it There's was There's one awesome. scene where he has to play a toddler. No, that actually, I couldn't deal with that. That was too much for me. The child. He was like, like mommy. He did the American toddler voice. He was like, mommy, did a We as mommy. <laughs> this is meant to be a really traumatic flashback for Christian. He's having these horrendous nightmares, and the narrator's just like, We as And he was telling me about her one night and he said she used to do this thing that just made me cringe so much where she would do baby voice. And I was laughing and I was like, what sort of baby voice? And he was like, you know, she'd just be like, oh, Maddie, can you come in? So now if I, to wind him up, I do a baby voice, but I've done it so many times. And every time I do it, I have to jack it up a little bit to make it funnier. So now it's <laughs> I would genuinely say that was my favourite part of this book was the, the, the voices. He really, you can tell that he's a born storyteller. Well done, Zachary. Well done, Zachary. There's absolutely so no way in fresh hell I would have read this book to the end if I hadn't have been listening to the audio book and it was so funny. I'm going gonna, um, I'm gonna to go ahead and say this is the most boring book we've done. 
It's yeah, by far the most boring book we've done, and I hope we never do one this boring again. <laughs> Which let's let's discuss that. This is meant to be porn. Was anyone horny? Yeah, no, I, I've not been dry. No, I, been yeah. Dry in my life. I would go as far to say this book has put me off sex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so every time a sex scene happened, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, get it over with. Mm. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that I've actually at times used this book to purposefully turn me off when I've had to concentrate <laughs> on other things. <laughs> <laughs> some people go for the bible you <laughs> el james it, like literally was so dull and you know what it was it was the saturation of just mundane detail the whole yes. book there was no flow mm. there was no great dialogue there was no plot even it was literally just the mundane detail of this person's life which we didn't need you know it almost felt like She'd written this alongside the originals and then this was the stuff the editor cut the first time. I would love to talk about the mundane aspects of their life. So, Emma, as you said, they have this weird kind of teenage flirtation over email, which on its own I thought was bad enough. But there is one chapter of the book which really stood out to me or one um, paragraph of the book felt like a chapter. Where they're discussing Christian making Anna a cup of tea and... They wake up and Christian goes and makes Anna a cup of tea. And I shit you not, the dialogue goes as follows. Oh, Mr. Gray, I don't think you've ever made me a cup of tea before. Well, we aim to please Miss Steele. This is a really good cup of tea. Where did you learn to make tea? Well, I have a myriad talents. You'll get time to learn all of them. Oh, how did you make the tea? What was your process? Well, I uh, wouldn't want to give my secrets away. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, wow. I've never had tea made like this before, Mr. Gray. And literally, it fucking goes on and on and on about them talking about this bastard cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I know. They have, they, and they're meant, it's meant to be setting up this like steaming sexual chemistry between the two of them. And it just pisses me off. I mean, admittedly, they fuck like bunnies. You've got to give them that. But aside from that, these people, A, have absolutely no chemistry outside of the bedroom. And B, don't fucking know each other. At one point yes. after they're engaged, can I just say, they ask each other if they're religious. Yeah. Why don't yep. you know? Why don't Why would you not have you asked like, that before? By the way, are you like religious or something before we do this? <laughs> Like, for real. But also, like, yeah, they have a lot of sex. But also, we all, we read some decent smart. We've read some really good erotica, you know, that we've talked about before we started this podcast that undoubtedly we will talk about on here as well. It wasn't very descriptive. It was ironic. You you got all this description from this mundane fucking cup of tea making or, you know, shitty emails or him talking to Taylor. But, like, you don't actually get any real description when it comes to the sex. I found that as well. You would get sort of end of chapters where they would be sort of really starting to fuck each other. And then the intro of the next chapter would be they're done. Like yes, yes. They the just fucked. she did that, it was so lazy. It was so lazy. I was like, you're not even describing the sex now. You've got bored of that. What yeah. is it? It's just cups of tea and Elliot going, oh, what's up, hardshot? And also I felt like I felt like she put together it was the laziest book of all time. I felt like she put together an Excel spreadsheet of characters and then had put under each character things that they do or say. And then every single time they come into a scene, she would just copy and paste 
things that they would do or say repeatedly. So Elliot would go, what's up, hotshot, every, every single time. Um, dude, uh, dude. Mia would, ba- yeah, dude. And Mia dude. would bound in and hug him. And, and then there's things that he says continuously, like, don't cry, baby. Fuck. That was yar. <laughs> I have actually compiled a little list of things I never want to hear again. Um, <laughs> they go as Can follows. I... <clears throat> Anything about his cock being sentient? Example, his cock being eager or agreeing. Yeah. Uh, the word my backside. There's my girl. Yeah. Oh. I come and come and come. Feel it, baby. Yeah, oh, that's God. the worst one. Feel oh, it, baby. God. Can you imagine if someone said that to you in the sack? Keep it together, Gray. <laughs> I'll keep it together, Gray. She smells like Anna and dot, dot, dot. Is he a fucking bloodhound? At one point they're in the hospital and he goes, I can smell the drugs that she's taking. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, my personal favourite, powerhouse nub at the apex of her thighs. Those are me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no one needs to hear it. That's the, uh, that's the list of phrases and words I never want to hear again. Thank you very much. His words for her vagina, her sweet cleft. Oh, Christ. Cleft. Like, she, he has a go at her for saying moist. And then he says, sweet cleft. Sweet cleft? <laughs> this is the, there's my girl. So uh, I find that one really interesting. That's something he says an awful lot throughout the book. And it would seem that Christian has a sort of idealized, fetishized version of Anna in his head. And when she doesn't fit into the mold of the woman that he's chosen to be with, he kind of disassociates and then when she's back to being compliant or sexually available, he goes to, there's my girl. Mm. Yeah. I it mean, really it's... sets my teeth on edge. She's always the same person. It's yeah. just that when it doesn't suit him, he kind of makes out that she's this complete stranger to him. And she's acting so strangely having all this, you know, autonomy. Yeah. That was the one thing I actually felt was positive about this book is that there's this particular scene where she's dressed up in a skimpy outfit going out for a night out to celebrate their friend's engagement or whatever it is and he admits to feeling threatened because she's stronger and because she looks more like a a confident independent person it's not something I like about him as a character, but I think it's something that's positive about being framed in the book that is is obviously problematic because I think quite a few women have dated a guy that's been overly controlling like this. You know, maybe not to this extent, but a lot of women have. And I think that actually identifying the fact that it comes from a place of intimidation is a mm. positive thing. So that that is something because I was trying, I was racking my brain. I was like, oh my God, there must be something <laughs> that I can take from this that isn't just kill me now. This has been mm. so boring. I thought Anna was sometimes quite problematic. So, and this might lead a little bit into, obviously you guys are a lot more versed on this than I am, but how an actual BDSM relationship is portrayed in the book. Because I've had, in this version, Anna very problematic when she safe words out and says red to come out of a situation, which, uh, no judgment, seemed quite vanilla to me. You know, not that unusual. But it's orgasm denial. Yeah, and she she obviously wasn't very happy with it. But then she uses it to make him feel guilty and make him feel like he's done something really horrendously wrong and has, like, violated her. And I'm like, wasn't such an extreme scenario, but fair enough if you felt like it went too far. But that's what a safe word is for. It seemed odd to me that you would then blame the person that's done that to you. 
see, I've got that written down, but in a different way. So I've got safe wording written down here on my notes. And the reason that I wrote that down is because what stood out to me, it's interesting that you got the other side of it, is that Christian, from when she safe words, brings it up in his kind of inner monologue, in his inner voice frequently. He goes to himself, she safe worded on you, Gray. And I found myself thinking safe wording is really not a big deal. No. The, the whole reason you have a safe word in place is so that you can use it if things get too intense and then it doesn't escalate. So it stops something becoming a big deal. And yeah. he seems very upset about the fact that she's used a safe word as if as if he has really crossed a line. So what bits are you, I don't, I'm not actually sure what you're referring to, Emma, when you say that she uses it against him, because that would make what he's saying a lot more sense. So he basically says directly after she's safe words, he's like, no, 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 no. What have I done? What have I done? And she sort of does the Anna thing where she just sits there and, and lets him have this big dialogue where he's blaming himself. And I'm like, surely you would just be like, oh, no, no, it's fine. I'm not angry. I just didn't like that particular thing. I'm glad we had that safe word in place. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's sort of what it's for. So... I yeah, really didn't that's... get that either. I was I was really confused about that as well. Like, why are they... Well, I didn't know about Anna, but why is he so upset? If I was putting myself in his shoes, I'd probably feel a little bit like, oh, it's a shame we couldn't do that because I was enjoying it. But mm. I'm really glad that you safe-worded rather than getting upset. Mm. Well, he's supposedly been playing with BDSM for, since he was 15 years old. And he's presumably, what, like 30-something? Is he 30? <laughs> It's 28. 28. Okay. So yeah, so he's supposedly been playing for like nearly 15 years. So that also makes no sense. Surely you would have either been with subs who have face worded, uh, face worded. (laughs) (laughs) Safe worded. I'm I'm really knackered. I got so drunk last night. But (laughs) yeah, you know what I mean? It just doesn't really add up logically. There's so much in the book that doesn't add up logically. Also, can we just talk about the dialogue? That She's not writing dialogue how anyone would talk. It's such a pet peeve. It's like nobody talks like that. Nobody thinks like that, you know. What extraneous education did you have to have in order to make this cup of tea, Mr. Gray? You you know what I mean? Please have a station. Oh, she's supposed to be a fucking What do you editor. mean? I don't understand what you mean. That's so natural. <laughs> yeah, and she's supposed to be a fucking editor. She's supposed to be, like, intelligent enough to be running a fucking paper or a magazine, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, and it's such a lazy trope. You mentioned this earlier, like, the bounding younger sister that's got money. Find literally any sliver of your interactions from real life and try and apply them to the characters that you're building. Like, I just can't. Just going back to what you were saying before, I also wrote that as part of my notes, that it seems like any of the scenarios and conversations that they have, if you were to act them out fully in your head, thinking, right, okay, let's actually imagine someone going through the motions of what E.L. James is describing. What they're doing is completely fucking bananas. Like, it's just mad. There's one bit in particular where I thought, oh, my God, surely that can't be it. And I listened to it a couple of times. I was like, no, no, that's what she's saying, where... E.R. James says he clamps his mouth playfully around her fingertip, but then he goes down to the knuckle. And I'm like, so you're just fucking deep throating her finger. (laughs) What on earth is going on? Like, what is going on? The one thing I love about this and that I've noticed from all of our recordings is that we all pick up on different elements of the same issues which I really, really enjoy. But yeah, God, there's been just so much fucking wrong with this. And the more I read it, the more I sort of realise how badly it's written. 
and how much it's not like any kind of normal dynamic with anyone at all. And so that in itself is kind of an interesting question mark because it's done so well. It's like how have people related to this when it's so, to me, it doesn't feel relatable. I mean, we, we all know controlling men, but it's he's not even well written. Do you know what it is? Is also she is meant to be so plain and he is meant to be so sexy and desirable. And it's like you, that typical thing where as a woman you put yourself in his shoes and it's the glamour and the planes and this life that you could never have that's completely elite and out of this world and just dripping in money and nothing's too much trouble and all of that. I think that's part of the allure of it because that's what I enjoyed about the first books. It was all of the the glamour and the like flying her out in his jet and everything and going from this place to that place. I was like, oh, I can imagine that. That's fun, you know, little car chase and everything. Oh, bought you an Audi R8 for your birthday. Like, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, of nice. course, that would be nice. Or like just a nice like buying you a dress and stuff. Like oh, I just went down to Harrods and got you a dress and, and some Louboutin and some Cartier jewellery for this one evening where we're going out for dinner at this expensive restaurant. Like that, I like the idea of. And Who doesn't? Yeah. And but that's got nothing to do with been. Christian Grey or sex. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's more just like looking through sort of Condé Nast Traveller. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's just that, basically, that I like. <laughs> so, what, you mean, you mean people want to be with someone that can take them out and buy them presents? <laughs> absolutely oh no (laughs) so taboo the other thing I definitely want to discuss is the nature of the sex and if it could really even at this stage I think it's been so sanitized for this book I don't think like this isn't an erotic novel in my opinion it's not like for example there was so little BDSM sex in it that I thought she was going to be building up to something quite big and so when he was like oh um don't pee I was like, oh, here we go. Oh, Come yeah. on. Oh, oh, yeah. Don't be. Showers, right. Whatever. Gas. Let's do this. <laughs> and, then he was like, uh, and then he was immediately like, oh, no, that, not that. It's not my scene. And then after that, they only just established a safe word. Fucking hell, you're. You're nearly married. You've not got a safe word. The most taboo sexual act in this book is when Christian refers, it's not explicit, but he refers to Eleanor fucking him with a strap on. Yeah, that bit I caught and I was like, okay. That is that is the most, I mean, I don't want to say the most kingy because it's all, you know, king's relative, but it's the most extreme version. And he mentions it and saying it was very disturbing. Like he's mentioning it when he's having a nightmare about being abused. So I'm like, well, you obviously think that that was abusive, but that's not abusive if you're consenting adults. There's nothing particularly like. shocking in this, is there? I mean, we're not. Well, that's what we were sort of saying is, is this even an erotic novel? I I don't think so. Well, I suppose it depends on who she's writing for. If her audience are usually vanilla people who are kind of dipping their toe in, I suppose if she starts writing about golden showers and sounding, people are going to run a mile, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) It's why it's not a good book, to be blunt. Unless you're actually representing what you're claiming to represent that's the reason she's got so many readers in the first place is that it was promising some bdsm activity but it really is just she does wear a blindfold christina (laughs) 
it's just a vanilla couple having a little cheeky experiment that they've got too much equipment for. Like, but to be she, honest, that's just what it sounds like to me. She describes, like, some very basic tying up and then cunnilingus. She describes it like it's a real extreme BDSM act. He's literally just eating her out and then just <laughs> kissing all over her body for hours on the wedding night. He just sloppily kisses is like I kissed all up her arms and then all up her legs and then all up her and I'm like just sloppy snogging all over her body <laughs> the worst wedding night of all time my, my favorite description <laughs> in, when you said when the, the chapter about him putting her finger in her mouth her thing twister her f- left hand red her finger <laughs> in his mouth you kind of imagined him like deep throwing finger <laughs> the bit that kept coming up for me is she keeps writing that he looks down at Anna. <laughs> sorry <laughs> she keeps writing that he looks down at Anna and her eyes are dazed so i just have an image of her like cross <laughs> and there's some really weird adjectives in this book you know that bit in bo burnham stand-up where he's like you and your muscular teeth <laughs> <It's kind laughs> of like, that. like at one point so she's written i've got some down transparent eyes horrifying what, what the fuck <laughs> like is it a fishy a fish <laughs> what the fuck can transparent we take a second? Eyes. Transparent. Transparent eyes. Um, uh, dazed eyes I've got. Uh, this one is, is not quite the same, but uh, just something that I really wanted to write down here. Uh, waterfall of water. Not, not a cascade. Not a trickle. A waterfall of water. Um, and she pleads pleadingly. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what? You know what as well? Like, I remember a specific bit that I just can't get out of my head that I have to talk about when she was like, oh, I need to pee, but I can't pee with you watching me. And he was like, well, I don't mind or something like that. And then she was like, how kinky are you? Yeah, that's it. I was like, that is... I wanted to scream. I've li- <laughs> He sucks his own dick so much. He's like, I left them a hefty, generous tip. And I'm like, oh, God. Every single time a service person comes in, I'm like, he's going to brag about how much... Piers Morganing. Piers Morganing. Yeah. So yeah, Piers Morgan. We, from here here on out, we will now dub thee Piers Morganing. If you're being a narcissistic cunt, you're piercing. Like... He does. This is one of the main things that stood out for me. So she had a chance in this book to give us an insight into the twisted mind of Christian Grey and make me and make us understand why he behaves the way he does. And he's just a, a bit of a cunt. He is. His bachelor. Can we say cunt his... on the podcast? Are we going? We're, we were saying. I said it first. We're saying cunt on the podcast, but. <laughs> His bachelor party. Sorry, Emma's mum. Yeah. <laughs> She's the only one that will mind. Sorry, sorry, my parents. <laughs> Would Mandy mind? Anyway, come on. No, but my dad might mind. And I think he might want to listen. So I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry, dad, for so many things on this podcast. So the bachelor party, I think, was the pinnacle of his adolescent grumpy behaviour that was the least sexy thing ever, like him just being a petulant child. So obviously it was the suckiest bachelor party of all time. He has two beers and then does a grump at like a pair of tits because they take him to a titty bar. And then on the wedding day, the best man's speech in America is so different to the UK. Like it was meant to be this shocking speech. But Elliot was like, he had no interest in women as a boy. And so you can guess what we all thought. And Christian is like, I'm going to kill him. Like Anna is mortified. In the UK, they would have added on the end, you can guess what we all thought. 
but he was probably a nonce. You're like, yeah. that's what I was expecting him to say. So when Christian was 15, he had a strap on all the way up his arsehole. And now here he is. With... Yeah. I remember one time. You know what? E.L. James has missed a trick there. She should have done like, if this was in an English country. <laughs> I can't convey how much I am not invested in this character mm. because he just is basically acting like a 13-year-old boy and he's mm. somehow managed to get to the top of the business world like yelling at everyone and sending shitty little sexy emails. He is so unnecessarily rude to service staff as well. He yeah. sucks his own dick about tipping, but then there is that chapter where he has to get hold of Anna because she's daring to speak to his ex without his permission. And he's so rude to Anna's assistant that to the mm. point where she's like shaking and incoherent. And it's not a flex. It's not a flex to be rude to service staff. In fact, if I am ever on a date and someone is like rude to the waiter, I to me, I mentally cut them off. I'm just like, well, you're a piece of shit. That's what frustrates me about this book more than anything is that it's written by a woman. You have literally had an opportunity to create any kind of man you want. And this is the one that you've created. That's but, such you know, a good point that she had the opportunity to create the ultimate man and she came yeah. up with Christian Grey. Now, yes! I suppose the argument could be made if we're playing devil's advocate. Would the perfect man be an interesting read? But she hasn't achieved that anyway. So I suppose that's a moot point. To I think it would if you were an interesting writer. Um, yeah. <laughs> would you really, as an interesting writer, write a man who says, my cock approves? Yeah, Emma, that was in my list of things I never want to hear again. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think you should. I, I'd like to start saying, if you guys do something right in future, I'm going to say, my vagina approves. Well, <laughs> obviously, I listen to this on audio oh, the same you. as you guys. And Emma, with you doing your impression of the whiny ex, Chris has started going, obey my cock. When it <laughs> can i have a cup of tea and i'm like all right 10 minutes i'm busy and he goes no obey my cock (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious oh Oh, we love chris in terms of the reviews to be honest it wasn't very exciting was it it was all just like basically this this book is boring as fuck like when i was looking through them that was just the general theme i mean there wasn't even anything particularly excessively funny in my opinion there was one person who on goodreads put painful to get through didn't even want to finish it got slightly more interesting at the end but that's being generous i liked the previous book as a guilty pleasure but this was just bad and (laughs) do you know I've, i've just thought about this now i'm wondering if this book i'll admit I have not read the previous two from Christian's point of view, but I read the original three uh, so that I knew what I was complaining about. And I wonder whether this book doesn't work because in the first two, she's writing about a fantasy about how they have just met and it's new and it's exciting and it's a spark and how even the proposal is, you know, all so fast and exciting and they're all so young. And then in this book, they get married they get pregnant, which he does not react well to. And they still don't seem to know each other very well. And they're making very solemn, very serious vows to each other. And there's the commitment element there, which I think she thought would be prudent to include to give a kind of another fantasy level to the readers. Like, oh, not only is he super sexy in an Uber Dom, but he's committed. But it doesn't mesh well with the relationship that she's written between the two of them. They haven't had time to build that trust 
to get married. So it almost seems like they've rushed into it. And, and especially when Christian freaks out about the pregnancy, it kind of takes the sheen off of it. He yeah, was so bad about that. And and also about her moving in. Like, there's the bullying about her moving in. Like, you have to move in with me. It was just, it was so problematic. But I do also find she doesn't seem to sort of communicate her needs at all, really. Like you said before about she safe worded out and then acts like, I can't believe that you're such a fucked up person. It's like, say at the time, like say beforehand, like discuss these things. It, it sounds like they've never had a proper discussion in their life. Yeah. I think this is the most backbone that Anna shows in in the books. Again, I'm I'm really not an expert on these, but I remembered getting really irritated with her character, especially in the early books when he imposes these ridiculous arbitrary rules on her and she kind of goes, oh, okay, I don't really want to do that. But I'll do it. And it's kind of like, all right, you can say no. In this book, there is a point where I haven't got it written down, but she says something along the lines of you're a petulant fucking child and you need to wake up and smell the coffee. And I was like, oh, hey, Anna, there you are. I liked that bit. I think the thing that took the sheen off for me is when you open up from Anna's perspective, he seemed to have other things going on, like he had his business and all of that. And yet he still had this obsession with her. But when you see his obsession with her laid bare to the point of seeing every single thought he has about her, it's actually incredibly unhealthily obsessed with her. The tiniest, most obvious thing she does, he's like, oh, it disarmed me. And I was so humbled. And she's literally just at the wedding. She's like, I probably shouldn't do gifts. Just do like charities or something and he's like oh oh my god i cannot believe that she i just can't believe it she's so literally like, like shits himself and then when he's like making a creepy photo montage of her for every tech device he has it's that he has her photo plastered on everything like every office he has has photos of her and i'm like it's fucking weird it's not sexy it's weird. It's totally weird to have a shrine of your partner at the end of your bed. It's yeah. so creepy. I don't know who would do that. I also don't know <laughs> who would Especially do that. who has loads and loads of photos and then candles sprinkled around the yeah, photos. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Fucking strange. Like, I... <laughs> all right. You know what? Okay, listeners. I thought it'd be really cute. Yeah, to stick some photos of Chris up at the end of the bed. Like, nice frames. Yeah, just dotted about. Like, oh, you look cute when you were eating this takeaway. Oh, look cute when you were with the cat. And then, like, oh, candles. Everyone likes candles, didn't they? And then I did it, and Chris walked into the room and was like, it "Looks like I'm dead." <laughs> 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 in fairness to you there are a lot of photos of you and him together in in it's on just, the, it's not just him <laughs> on the shrine it's not just literally like i also have a similar shrine to my cat so <laughs> yeah and you have a it's lot of shrine. photos you and emma and, and us as well you have lots of photos in the house I preface that I'm a photo but yeah mom. but there are yeah there are like 12 photos of yeah, <laughs> I like taking pictures of him while he's eating. He's he, pure joy on his face. <laughs> <laughs> but even that is significantly less creepy than this man. It, it's the, not attractive. It, it is genuinely just no, creepy. You know, it's not attractive. And I was trying to describe, I was obviously moaning about this as I was having to listen to it, as I'm sure you guys were. And really? I was trying to distill what it is about it that's so grating. And I think what it is, is it's the idea of what's sexy when you're a teenager yeah, the idea of a man being so obsessed with you that he would fly home early from an important business meeting because you dared to go on a night out. The idea of a man that would be absolutely furious at you if you dared to wear a dress that was above your knees without consulting him and it had a low back, a low back. Yeah. Oh, and someone checked her out and then he was like, 
back off, bud. Yeah. <laughs> like, he wasn't just back off, bud. He beat the living shit out of him. It's an idea of, of a man that's so into you and so committed to you and so obsessed with you that he acts inappropriately. And then you get past 1920 and you realize that that's actually not a healthy way to behave and it loses all its sexiness and just becomes a whole field of red flags and if i was in a relationship with this guy now i would (laughs) there's nothing appealing about that kind of i guess dominance all he ever does is say all the time like she's mine am i yours are you mine am i (sighs) yours he says that over and over again there's one point where he cups her face in his hands and says don't ever leave me you can't die (laughs) And I'm like, that's what I do to my dog. I grab her and I go, you can never die. I was going to say, you get drunk and do that to Casper, yeah, Emma. You do. I, t- I tell him all the time. I say, I would die for you. I, would die for you. I, would I do die the same you. thing. I yeah. hold Rue to my face and I go, I'd kill a man. I'd kill a man for you. <laughs> The cutaways to his past, before it was alluded to, and it was all very much like this disturbing past he had and all of this, the the cutaways to his past with Christian's mum and the, the crack whore, the crack whore. And oh, that as well. Oh. Like, so cheesy and terrible. It reminded me of Prison Mike from The Office. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yo, bitch, what you doing? Like, so fake and just <laughs> terrible. That's Christian's phrase of the book, the crack whore. The crack whore. Everyone's got a phrase, like you say, the crack whore. He's, again, supposed to have been in therapy about it for fucking years. Like, mm. <laughs> and he's still like, the crack whore, anytime yeah. he talks about his mother. I don't know what it does to a person to start life in that situation. I don't know what mental exercises you have to go through to heal or move on from that. But the way that he refers to that entire situation is so over-egged. Simpering? I don't know. I don't have the word in my brain because wine, but... I know. You know, this is the thing about the book for me that grated me. It was so shallow. And for something that's supposed to be about the deep connection, there was no depth to it at all. And it's like, actually, that's what I love about Tiffany Rice's books, who writes excellent erotica. This is going to turn into a Tiffany Rice fan club podcast. Get used to it. We love her. But it's glorious smut, smut with substance. And I think that's the difference. When you're used to the difference, you would not peg this as a popular book. No pun intended. You, you know, you would. <laughs> you, I wish. You would, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Can you imagine if Anna. Can you imagine if Anna had come out from the cupboard with a big old strap on and was like, "Get ready, Christian." I would have been like, "Oh yeah." Out. This is to say thank you for that shit cup of tea you made this morning. <laughs> I, I spread it. Yeah. <laughs> Feel it, baby. <laughs> And it's basically like you taking me off of a roller coaster at the points I'm supposed to go upside down. I don't know. Had there have been any arousal, she blue balled us all the way through. So much blue ball. So much blue ball. Literally, it's been time before the blue ball. It's, it, it's like you're building up to being blue balled and then you stop then. Like, I just. <laughs> I just There's didn't... nothing as well is building up a sex scene and then all they do is stare into each other's eyes and tell them that they love each other. Mr. Grey. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Grey. Like, oh. we, we aim to please Mrs. Grey. Mrs. Grey. Oh, I, I know you do, Mr. Grey. Like, the Mr. and Mrs. Grey mm. that they the do to each other. Because we're married. We're married. We're better than everyone. You're so right, though. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go back to Rise again because we stan her. 
she manages to cultivate, and I don't think we'll, we'll ever do a Tiffany Rise book on the podcast because I think that they're purely pleasure for us. And I think to dissect them would maybe take some of the joy out. And it's a little bit too personal for all of us because we're such big fans. And if we were being completely candid on the podcast, we'd probably have to find fault in it. And we don't want to do that. So it's unlikely that we're ever going to do any of her books. I don't think there is fault. <laughs> I love her. But she manages to cultivate such meaningful relationships between people. And you're right that that's the whole point of this book is this great love story between Christian and Anna. And especially in this book, it seems that the sex is just kind of a bonus of their incredible, enduring love. And you don't get that at all. It's kind of the same with any kind of porn, I guess. You seek some kind of gratification from it. It just, it felt like it rambled on. It was childish and then it was over. There was no real graphic detail about the sex. It was something that 13-year-olds would read to each other and giggle. Yeah, I think, you know what? I think you made a really good point, Sid, that it is like a teenager's idealised version of what a sexy relationship would be. That was a great point. And I think if you're a teenager and you're reading this, or you're listening to this, which you shouldn't be, because this is not for you. It's an 18 plus podcast. 18 plus. I'd like to summarise a few things from this book, and I'm sure you guys can chip in with some as well, that are, um, this isn't real, and this isn't how relationships are. And please don't listen to this book and, and, and take this on and think this is how my relationship should be. It's number one, never date a guy who sees you as a glorified rehab facility for his emotional issues. Yeah. You are not a healer. He always talks about, oh, she healed me. She made me whole. She saved me. That's not good. That's not safe. You can feel like someone has helped you through the tough times, but do not put on someone emotionally that they have saved you and that they are your saviour and you are their rehabilitation centre and you come and they heal you from your turbulent life. That's you Don't put that on your partner. You are not instantly going to be the best ever at giving blowjobs on the planet. It takes practice. It takes time. You're not going to be the best at giving a blowjob immediately. And a CLA in the book, B, but trust me, she wouldn't have been the best on her first go. Um, It takes dedication. (laughs) For fuck's sake, you will never go through an entire relationship with your partner where you never once have to use lube during sex. They never use lube. Even after she's just visited her father in the hospital who's in a coma, she is good to fucking go. Come on. Yeah, She's but 21. also. Oh, well, to be fair, when I was 21. Yeah, well, I was going to say when I was 21. But, but also at the same time, you know, if things like that are actually really problematic. I remember at times where I felt emotionally tumultuous in my teen years in particular, feeling put upon to have sex with my partner. And that's not the way it should be. That is not the way it should be at all. You're absolutely entitled to have days off. You're entitled to have days where you don't feel like having sex at all and just being like, no, I literally just need someone to like stroke my hair and let me watch some crappy TV show. The fact that he's like, well, I want to have sex. I don't know about you. And then she's instantly into it. Like that's bollocks. I would say that their sex drive is very high. Mm. I would say that this isn't a normal sex drive. Even as I I just joked about, certainly when I was in my early 20s, it's sort of all the time. But I would say that the situations that they're put in where they still want to have sex is quite unusual. And it's not something to hold yourself up next to. They go through quite a lot of trauma together and they sort of just fuck their way through, which can be a trauma response. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I would say if you're not fucking three times a day, every day, regardless of the external circumstances, don't worry about it. 
eating that much pizza and pasta as they are eating, you're not always going to feel like that amount of sex. And you're certainly not. (laughs) He also has a thing about her eating. Have you noticed? And she punishes him by not eating when she's annoyed at him or something. She'll just not eat. And I'm like, oh, God, that is so fucking problematic. (laughs) There's so much wrong with it. The idea of somebody always fucking badgering me to have like have you eaten? When are you gonna eat next? What did yeah. you eat last? When will you eat next? How many like, calories in your next meal? How many calories in your last meal? When did you eat? Are you drunk? Are you drinking? Are you- oh, and the drinking, oh. the drinking. Like she even with his sister, he was like, Oh, I smell alcohol in her breath. And she's like, Yeah, yeah we Christian had strawberry daiquiris. Christian smells everything. He's a fucking bloodhound. He goes, She smells like Anna is always the pretext. And the drugs that she's taken from the hospital sorry you're smelling the fucking paracetamol through her skin she smells like like anna and and sad no you can't you can't smell that he can tell from just her mannerisms when she's had like one drink come on do you know what i mean like you can tell if someone's had a few drinks easily but one drink she's had like one little cocktail and he's like I can tell that something's not right here. If she came home and she was pissed, because she's never a dickhead, she's never rude to him, she's never nasty to him, she's never violent with him. Those are the situations in which you could maybe be anxious about someone drinking if they're an unpleasant drunk. But she's never like that. She's maybe a little bit annoying, as we all are when we're a little bit drunk. isn't? Absolutely. And he is so so cruel to her about drinking and so strict about her drinking and and she's 21 lest we forget when i was 21 not only was i wet all the time but i was also pissed all the time and <laughs> why, why, weren't we all there weren't we all <laughs> and she only drinks in situations that call for it she drinks on her hindu she drinks when she goes out with her friends she drinks for his birthday she drinks special occasions and he makes her feel terrible about it yeah he does given the vast platform that she has and she had this opportunity to sort of reframe this character, I feel like she was irresponsible the first time and she's just been doubly irresponsible again. Absolutely. And the amount of criticism that she got for the previous book, for stuff that she could have very easily cleaned up during this one. So she got criticism for not portraying a BDSM relationship properly and for misconstruing and actually portraying an abusive relationship under the guise of BDSM and, you know, not researching the topic enough, not doing enough research for the book. And this, she seems to just make loads of own goals and and doubles down on some of the really problematic parts. She could have lent into the flaws in the first book and then kind of said, okay, well, I'm going to keep it flawed because to a degree I have to, but I'm going to give explanation to why, to vague things from the first book. But instead, she's just almost created more vagueness. I'm doing it again, but there is a direct comparison to be made because they are both apparently erotic novels. The difference, I think, in the characterization is that E.L. James writes her characters in a way that this is an idealised representation of a relationship. So any faults or any red flags in the relationship are just kind of taken to be something that you should accept in the subtext of the writing. Whereas when you take someone like Tiffany Rice, she is openly writing flawed characters. She is writing characters and she is putting right there in front of you that this is not a ideal scenario these are people that are behaving in inappropriate ways and these are people that are doing things that they shouldn't necessarily be doing and that's where you get the the plot that's what pushes the story along 
Whereas the central kind of idea behind Fifty Shades of Grey is that this is the fantasy. He's so rich and she's so beautiful and, and this is everything that you could possibly want. And she has put in that backstory about Christian's past, but it seems tacked on. And if anything, I wish it wasn't there because the way that it's written is that the reason that he has these proclivities is a response to his traumatic upbringing. Now, write that well, and sure, that's a reason some people are kinky. It's not a reason a lot of people are kinky, but it can happen. But it seems to be a kind of blanket statement about kinks. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, she could have written it in such a way as these things prompted me to realise this was the lifestyle I wanted. But instead, she's chosen to make it this curable thing which is also such a problem for me is that she turns around and is like, oh, well, I was so fucked up and so therefore I was kinky, but now I'm not kinky because I'm with the right person. Like, oh, I yeah. hated that. I oh, hated that. As you if know? it can be cured. I would actually be really interested to get your guys' opinion because I don't actually know how to answer this myself. What do you think it is about reading the characters in Tiffany Rise's book where they do have these traumatic backstories very similar to Christian Grey, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't roll your eyes and you do empathize and it does make sense versus this book. Like, do you think it's the writing style? What do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's the writing style. I think to be honest, with those books, she goes into such depth about the sex and about the psychology behind the sex and those kind of motivations as to why those scenes play out the way they do and why those relationships build the way they do. Do you see what I'm saying? That they could maybe drop a uh, Christian on paper into a Tiffany Rise novel and she would maybe write him better. Would Would he make more sense? Yeah, but I think that there would have to be more explanation about the kind of the reason that he wanted to have the sex that he's having. It wouldn't make sense for him to then be curable you would have to get to know him so much better as a character. I mean, I still, I still don't feel like I know him as a character. I know um, he's rich. Yeah, I know he's rich and I know he's spoiled in terms of his I attitude. Pretty and rich. Yeah, mm. but I don't actually know anything fundamental about him as a human being. They always say this about character building. You fundamentally, you find out what your character wants and then you deny them it. In the Reese books, you've got Kingsley who wants Soren because of all of the other stuff in his life, but can't have him because of extenuating circumstances. And that is fucking building a character. You know, with Christian, I'm like, okay, well, he is the way he is because of his mother, but there's not really anything that he can't have. She seems to like ham-handedly try to reconcile some of the previous criticism about the simplicity or, or the simplistic nature of the whole mother crack or backstory, where he tries to add that sometimes she was good and that actually he went to a foster family who were nice and he had forgotten and blocked it out. And by the end of the book, he's saying, oh, well, there were times with my mother where she was actually a good person. But I'm like, that doesn't add as much depth as you would need for something this enormous. Like Eleanor, she's always described with the same terms. Like that is a very complex situation. You've got a woman, and interesting, like you've got a woman who had a, a turbulent marriage, a good-looking older woman who ensnares this 15-year-old boy and really demeans him and does this really quite problematic, extreme relationship with him. 
it's never explored except for one reference to a strap on it like her character is very kind of two-dimensional she just has long scarlet nails and scarlet lips and scarlet shoes and and that's it you don't really get any sense of who she is and the the nuance to her character and the different dimensions and why did she do it and what was she suffering and this that and the other and you just don't get that that's a you know? much more interesting relationship than than Christian and Anna. You're so yeah. right. I feel like she's trying to portray this almost porn dynamic fantasy. It is just sort of the trope fantasy. It's not actually anything to do with the character itself. You do need that element of humanity. And I think for me, that's what's missing. What do you think the author's trying to say about that relationship? Where do you think she falls on whether or not she thinks it was abusive or whether or not she thinks it was a developmental kind of eye-opening relationship for Christian? Or do you think it's a bit of both? I think she thinks it's abusive. I think that it's quite apparent from these books that she has a, a bit of a distorted relationship with the BDSM community. There's an obvious lack of desire for accuracy now whether that's laziness because she just wants to make money or that's deliberate we will never know for me I think it's purely laziness if I was going to fall into one category I don't think that she she's definitely not a part of the BDSM community that much is clear because she doesn't know about it she can't portray a realistic dynamic. Do we know like, that? Because obviously Tiffany Rise is very open about it, of doing it again. I'm sorry. But there's, a direct, her, there's yeah. a direct comparison there. And we're not going <laughs> to do one of her books. So this is my only chance to talk about her. She's very open about her involvement in the community. I, I don't think E.L. James is the same. No. N- no, that, that's not the impression that's been given. She obviously mentioned, because you would if you were trying to, sell the books i was gonna say flog the books but uh, um <laughs> she's trying said, to strap on the books yeah but she said oh well, that would be telling when asked i don't think there's anything here that suggests that she is a part of the community and understands what the dynamics are because or she's just... not had a very good experience with it well that was my only other thought but you know i wondered if she was being malicious but i would be inclined my, my first instinct would agree with emma and that it was just laziness Mm. And I think oh, yeah. I book where it's Twilight and she thought, oh, I want to try something extreme in a very childish, immature way. It's like a teenager found out about BDSM and wrote what well, is exactly what it is, Twilight fan fiction with some BDSM in it. I mean, every single character is the same as Twilight. She's not even changed them. Like Christian is Edward, even Elliot, the brother, that's in Twilight. Uh, the, the Jose, quite clearly supposed to be Jacob. Like, it's very I obvious. did think Jose was supposed to be Jacob, yeah. yeah all like, just straight lifted, like, straight up. It's a crime that she has paid oh. nothing to Stephanie Mayer. I absolutely, uh, yeah, I absolutely I agree. agree with you. I completely think it's a lazy attempt at cashing in on people's interest in the BDSM community. I'm just trying to f- figure out if there could possibly be more. No. <laughs> it, it would seem not. <laughs> it's a hard one because I, I could go on about it for days. But on the other hand, like if I'm being completely honest with myself, I just don't have that much to say about the actual book. The mm. topic is interesting. But the book was so boring. It was yeah, literally so bad. I, I've never read a book quite that bad. Um, and we bad. read Piers Morgan's autobiography not long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Ratings out of five? Oh, God. Fucking zero. Like, this was shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is so a zero bad. as well. It's a zero. It's, it's terrible. It's a zero. It's quality. I'm going to give her a point five. 
The reason I'm going to give her a 0.5 is because she has managed somehow to make a sex toy line, mm-hmm. um, a series of ties. Yeah. Um, she's one of the best-selling authors of all time, and I have to give her a 0.5 for The Hustle. The um, Hustle is real. She's, she's making money. She's out there paying those ginormous mansion electric bills. However, with... she did put me off sex, so yeah. she gets a 0.5. I think I'll give a 0.5 as well because she hired Zachary Weber, who's a genius. Shout <laughs> out to Zachary, Zachary Weber. You're up there. We love you. For us, mate. We... <laughs> we love you. We hate everything about this book. I'm so sorry you had it. to go through that. What was it? 15, 16 hours? It was 600 yeah. pages. Yeah. 600 so sorry, pages. Zachary. I really, that man is you know insane. what? I you were paid well for that endeavor. Yeah. You deserve it. And worst case scenario, come drink with us. Um, <laughs> but don't do your baby voice. Don't do the puppet. Oh, Zachary, we love you. We love you. And then the end of the podcast. So, what are your thoughts? We want to hear from you. Leave a comment or tag us through Instagram at bookmarks and booze, or email us at bookmarks and booze at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more books, booze and brutal book reviews. Bye.